Hi, everybody. This is episode three of What I Do With Food. My guest this episode is Chef Anisha Hargrave. She's a culinary specialist at Impossible Foods. In this role, she provides large and independent brand support and menu strategy and developing new exciting menu items made with Impossible products. Prior to joining Impossible, Anisha was the executive chef and previously R&D chef for Chopped Creative Salad Company in New York City. I really enjoyed chatting with Anisha. I thought we had a great conversation, and I hope you will enjoy it as well. Thanks for listening. Hi, Anisha. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with me today. Hey, Brian. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Looking forward to, to our conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, as you know, this podcast is, uh, I've shared a little bit about myself in that I uh, came into the culinary profession kind of later in life and um, was a career changer. So just a little curious about uh, when did you know that you wanted to be a professional chef? Well, um, you know, like you, I entered the industry pretty late. I think my desire to be a professional of some sort in the industry also came late to me. Uh, growing up, food and the importance of it, but also being excited about cooking and about bringing people around a table, about you know discovering different food cultures and food ways was always um, you know a curiosity of mine. But uh, it wasn't until probably my thirties that. I thought about a career because it wasn't a field that we really talked about as an option in my home or something that was a possibility even. Um, so yeah, yeah I, so pretty late. Yeah, I definitely identify with that. Um, you know, I think about kind of my journey into it a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I had the interest from a very young age, I feel, um, just kind of being drawn to kind of uh, media and television shows and things like that, which was never really um, encouraged to pursue it in a, in a serious way. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I kind of came to uh, reflect on my career and what I was doing and what would make me happy again in my thirties also that, that made me kind of mm -hmm. some of those childhood interests of mine. And um, yeah, really decided to kind of jump in and, and pursue it professionally. So I, I certainly identify with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think in my 30s, I started to realize that it could very much be a career and not just a job track, right? And being able to um, tell the difference between those two things and that the hospitality, food and beverage, uh, culinary track uh, was something that there was a lot I didn't know about it. Uh, there was a lot to discover and um, and so when I set my mind to it, it allowed me to to get to know those paths and and ultimately choose one for myself. Tell me a little bit about your journey so far uh, working in the industry. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, knock on wood, I've been super fortunate, like really lucky to have uh, landed in some cool places, you know, straight out of culinary school again, like taking that non-traditional route and that I'm not graduating at 21 or 22 or something like that. So um, I knew that after I graduated culinary school, I needed to go and kind of make a leap, like jump right into whatever it was that I thought I wanted to do. And for me, that meant 
uh, research and development. And I'd never seen anybody do it. You know, I didn't know a lot about it other than what you could kind of read about and potentially hear and see about on TV. Mm -hmm. But I started to look for opportunities and uh, you know, I went to Johnson Wales and Charlotte and that campus was pretty like new and shiny. And there were a lot of um, opportunities to see and do a lot of things on campus during my time there. So it opened my eyes to R&D. And so I started to look for jobs. And, you know, one of my mentors in school, one of um, the chef instructors was just like, go, go find it, you know, like it's out there. And I, I landed uh, an R&D job for um, a fast casual, multi-unit fast casual brand uh, on the East Coast called Chopped. And, and so I joined Chopped Salad as the R&D chef. It was really at the rise of um, fast casual, really taking on that chef-driven mindset, uh, focusing on sourcing, storytelling, and everything in between, uh, starting to be the infiltration, if you will, on the rise of social media and that being important, being able to illustrate for customers what good food looks like and what flavor means and all these things. And, and so, like I said, I feel really fortunate because when I landed there, I had so much opportunity to see and touch and be a part of um, everything that I could imagine from uh, you know, creating seasonal menus and really owning um, much of that innovation thought leadership and really steering, helping to steer and guide the brand um, by way of flavor and, and insert something that uh, I think I uniquely brought to the table, just like we all do. And, and so I thought that that was cool and, and just grew with Chopped and, and ultimately became the executive chef over some years and um, worked on some really incredible projects and partnerships and in the community and around. And, um, and then I landed, you know, over, you know, some years I landed here at Impossible. So I'm here now on the other side of the table, uh, working more on the sales side, less on the operator side. And now I'm talking to a lot of operators that are in the shoes that I was in all those years at CHOP. So um, really interesting to see this, see this thing come uh, full circle almost. Nice, nice. I I'm so excited that you said that because <laughs> I gotta say, I love Chop. Like it may be <laughs> one of my favorite, <laughs> like fast casuals in the country. Um, yeah, it's like the only. You know, we talk about like craveability a lot in yeah. in the industry. It is the only craveable salad that I've ever had. And you know, my wife will tell you. Anybody will tell you. We love Chop. Like anytime we're in uh, Chicago now, but we lived in New York for a very long time. Um, anytime we're back in New York City, we have to have lunch at Chopped at least once. Um, <laughs> it is, it is fantastic. So I'm really glad that you, uh, that you said that. I'm a Listen, evangelist. Shout out, shout out to chop, shout out to chop. I'm team <laughs> chop too. Like I live here on the West coast now and I miss it. Like yes. I, I really do miss it being available to me when I want a craveable salad, when I want a salad where I can taste all the ingredients, where, you know, I think, you know, sourcing and all those things are sort of table stakes now, but like when I know I can feel confident in the sourcing, but more importantly, like you said, that flavor, that texture, just yes. like, I want to eat the whole bowl. Like <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I miss it being out here. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I, anytime I'm, I have the chance and I tell everybody about it. So I'm still looking for them to expand to Chicago. I don't think that's going to happen, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? You know, like we're surprised every day, but I, I imagine like all those years you were in New York, it, the chances are that you tasted some of the creations that 
myself and the teams I worked with put together and, and launched across those shop menus. So yes, that's yes. awesome to hear. That's awesome amazing. to hear you're a fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now you're at Impossible, which is, uh, I think, equally as cool. Um, one question I always like to ask people, you know, especially uh, considering culinary school education is something that's always like a hot button issue uh, when you go in the kitchens, you talk with chefs, like it's probably 50% went to culinary school, 50% haven't gone to culinary school. Um, there's always a debate around how important, you know, that culinary school education is. So just curious, um, how do you think your culinary education or culinary school education kind of prepared you for the work that you're doing now? I know you've had a number of years in the industry, but um, how do you think you were prepared through the, the schooling part? Yeah, um, I agree. It is a hot, hot button debate. Um, but the side I fell on was based on the goals I have for myself. So while I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do, I had a pretty good idea of what long-term uh, I didn't wanna be doing 10 years into my career. And my uncle had gone to culinary school. He went to the CIA and, and you know, talk trash because, you know. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> um, yeah, everyone there. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, but no, he, he gave me a really key piece of advice and said, you're gonna come across a lot of things that you love and wanna do in the industry. The hard part is going to be saying to yourself, this is what I don't want to do. Really figuring that part out. And once I did, culinary school really gave me a peek behind the curtain of corporate structure because it was going to be important to those latter years uh, in my career, sort of the stages I'm in now, the rooms that I've been in leading up to this point. Culinary school was really instrumental in letting me see what that culture could be like. It really let me touch in a very tangible way, project management, menu development, cost analysis, stakeholder management, like all of these things that are very much a part of my world today. When I left culinary school, immediately they became a part of my world. They became a part of my lexicon. And, <laughs> and you know, and it was important for me to grasp those concepts uh, straight away. Uh, in order to be successful um, as soon as I put my boots on the ground at CHOP. So um, culinary school was a big part of that, uh, really gave me autonomy in all of those things so that I could figure things out. And as you know, you know, and working in the startup environment like I am now with Impossible, being able to own that autonomy and, and really do good work, uh, have that entrepreneurial mindset uh, is important in culinary school and and most importantly there I you know I was a TA for uh, the second half of my uh, career in culinary school and that really did um, push me push me ahead I think um, versus not having gone to culinary school if that was the case. That's yeah that's that's very cool to hear. Um, yeah, a lot of people have varying experiences I think with school. Um, you know some find it it's wholly unnecessary or some find it just kind of gives you the basics in terms of how to cook. But um, it's really great to hear that uh, you were able to get so much out of your program. I think that's really important. Yeah, um, I mean, it is it is what you make it, you know, right? Yeah. And that, that's true with everything. So I went in knowing that I wanted and needing these things out of the culinary school experience. And, and so that's what I chased there. Yeah. And so the building blocks that I got from a culinary perspective were for sure helpful. But, but otherwise, um, it is what you make it. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, shifting gears a little bit, 
you know, you are, are currently at Impossible Foods. You know, it's a really interesting uh, company, really interesting product, um, relatively new still. Um, well, depending on how you look at it. But uh, what do you kind of see as the future for um, plant-based protein or plant-based meat? And, um, you know, right now it is still a very, very popular product. Um, maybe, uh, I feel like it, the trendiness of it is kind of waned a little bit, but still very popular in terms of a lifestyle. Um, so just curious what your thoughts on, on, are on the future of uh, plant-based. Yeah, um, I really believe that plant-based meat, when we talk about plant-based meat as a replacement for animal uh, meat has no CLA, right? Because much of the space is pretty, it's pretty much a white space still, right? Like there's a lot of opportunity uh, in dairy, there's a lot of opportunity in seafood. So there's, um, you know, all the space in front of us to connect with customers, with the public and uh, across a lot of different messaging. Um, levers, right? So I think that's the first thing is that, you know, there, there is no ceiling as far as I can see. Um, and then, you know, when I think about the yes and option that meat made from plants gives to people, right? So that you can eat a better version of meat, but still eat meat. And then you're not compromising on flavor and experience, right? Like if you want a burger, you want a burger, right? Like you're not craving a burger and like, you know what, that means a black bean burger. For many people, that is not true. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it is very specific. So the idea that you can uh, crave that thing, you can experience it, you can have it um, and it can be satiating, but then it can also be better for the environment, right? It can combat climate change, right? Yep. And it could be potentially, it could combat some bad health that you might have potentially, right? Or at least be a better version of that thing against the animal analog. So I think with all that and many more factors, there is no ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that you said um, that piece about seafood kind of being the next white space because that is one where I feel um, just in my own, looking at my own crystal ball and eight ball, I feel like uh, plant-based seafood is ripe for uh, all types of innovation. And um, I'm sure you guys are working on something. I, I don't know if you can tell me about it, but uh, <laughs> it is exciting to kind of think about what the opportunities and the possibilities could be for a plant-based seafood. You know, I know you know how this works, so I can't tell you anything, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can speak broadly to the industry and in saying that we're always working on something because of how much of a white space there is out there and not measuring and specifically, you know, talking about impossible, not measuring impossible against any other brand, but measuring it against the animal counterpart. Right. So that means there's a lot out there that we haven't done as an organization or that impossible hasn't done as an organization, but that customers are still right um, to want uh, if we can get it right. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with that, I, I wonder, uh, if you can share with me kind of some very cool happenings in the industry, some some cool operators, maybe some brands that are doing some cool stuff. I know not everyone um, always knows what's going on in the in the world of plant based. So just curious if you can share some things that aren't you know under NDAs, but <laughs> maybe uh, public knowledge. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I'm out here in the Bay. So representing the Bay, Sober Mesa, like chef Nelson George, uh, folks might recognize him or his name from, 
uh, one of the latest seasons of Top oh, Chef, Top him Chef. and his whole team, like that guy, like seriously, I don't fan out usually, but every, just everything he does is, is really fantastic and, and just a good, a good dude. And, but they have, I think it's on their brunch menu, a stuffed plantain mm-hmm. that uh, it's stuffed. It has like a impossible meat kind of ragu. There's some poached eggs. He uses a, a local black owned product from uh, Wanda's cooking called uh, her chow chow, her pepper chow chow is on it. So shout out to uh, Chef Wanda. And um, and it's just knockout, like so much flavor. I'm writing that, it down. Like, yeah. So Sober Mesa, it's on the brunch menu. Uh, it's a stuffed plantain. Like everything, first of all, is good. Mm-hmm. But this, when we're talking about uh, an impossible product, that's exciting. That is super exciting. Because, you know, and when we talk about reaching people and making this make sense to people, making plant-based food and meats make sense to people, this is what it's about, flavor first. Um, and then when we talk about, so taking it from like independent operators to say a multi-unit fast casual, Mendocino Farms. Uh, so uh, I really love their brand and their menu and what they do. And just like the interesting twists and turns of their menu to not give you exactly what you expect, but still meet expectation and in a lot of cases exceed it. Uh, so they have an impossible taco salad, right? So uh, all the textures there, they turn impossible meat into a chorizo, which is outstanding. Um, it's one of the rare cold applications that we see of impossible meat out in the marketplace and can be a tricky thing to do. Like think about cooking, you know, ground beef from a cow and wanting to serve that cold. I don't know how desirable that is. So as a plant, you know, it could be potentially equally as undesirable or confusing, but -hmm. they pull it off. And uh, that salad is one of my favorites. Like I get it uh, as often as I can. It's so good. It gets me as close as I could be to, uh, you know, to chopped, like yes. we were talking about earlier, right? It gives me that same kind of experience. Yeah. And it has these cool crunchies on it that they make out of like some superfood mix and a creamy chipotle dressing and a succotash. It's like it is knockout. Like those are my my two standout uh, favorites. So I have to ask, are you uh, completely a plant-based eater or do you do you eat meat? Are you flexitarian? What would you say? I, I flex. Yeah, I okay. flex. You know, I grew up like in my house, vegetables were important. Mm-hmm. Eating plants was important. I grew up with that sensibility about myself and I love plants and, and I eat a lot of vegetables we do in our house. And, uh, but you know, I do, uh, eat meat. And mm-hmm. when I do, I'm just super careful about, uh, wanting it to be the best sourced, uh, version of that meat. If I'm going to eat it, Mm-hmm. Um, just to be as responsible with me eating and not sort of undo everything that I do in, in my, in my day job. So, so given that you work for the brand and you're also, uh, sometimes a meat eater, do you ever have something with impossible that surprises you? And you're just like, wow, this is crazy. I mean, all the time, I, <laughs> you know, and a lot of it happens right here in our house because, um, you know, we're constantly, or I'm constantly looking for innovative ways to apply uh, impossible to any recipe where I would use, you know, a ground beef or, you know, on the food service space, a ground pork that we now have and sausage and a number of other things. So I'm looking for interesting, sometimes crazy ways to use them and mix and match and, it, and 
and it ends up being really good just out of, out of just, you know, getting in the kitchen and, and putting ingredients together. Um, so I would say right here in my own, in my own home, um, the craziest, most innovative stuff happens. That's, that's where it should happen, right? You gotta be yeah. creative and bring that stuff with you into the, to the world of uh, work. So, um, so one last kind of fun question for you. Um, can you tell me about one of your most memorable dining experiences? Oh, so um, yes, I went on a trip um, some years ago um, and I was working in New York and, at Chops and um, we had a relationship with, <clears throat> pardon me, Red Boat fish sauce and they do i don't know if they still do it but they did it then um, this cool trip where they take chefs and just people from the industry so not everyone was a bona fide chef but to vietnam to see their facility where they make their fish sauce where they dry their salt and all these things and we had the really cool like super rare experience to go out on their anchovy fishing boat and so we're talking about we took the cool branded red boat boat you know <laughs> took all the pictures and it's like dude, dude, dude you know in the water and then we pull up to this massive real deal fishing boat like yeah. not your grandpa's fishing boat but like a commercial fishing vessel wow. and you know and so we have to jump from boat to boat like literally like okay you can see the water uh -huh. um and so we get on the boat really cool they have a whole crew of fishermen there uh, that you know live on the boat for an extended period and when they cast their nets to catch the anchovies, they get, you know, a lot of bycatch. And so they cooked up a cool meal for us that they would normally cook for themselves, that they did uh -huh. cook for themselves and they shared it with us. And they were so happy to just include us in what their life is on the boat. And they brought us this plate and it had like steamed veggies and uh, some seasoned rice. And I think there was like cuttlefish on it and just oh, wow. some sort of like white flaky fish was on it, but it was, it was so good. Like it was just so simple, um, but the fish was, the seafood was so fresh. Uh, and then the backdrop of the sun setting on the ocean on the fish boat, you know, sitting out uh, on the deck was, uh, was hard to, hard to beat. So nice. uh, one of the most memorable. I love that. It's like a, not at all what I was expecting you to say, completely uh, a right. you know, A lot of people think that, you know, the best, uh, the best meal experiences come from a, a restaurant. It's got to be like a Michelin star mm. or something like that. But I, you know, uh, traditional cooking methods and traditional cookies, mm -hmm. um, those are always where, where the inspiration starts, right? That's like- Exactly. And a full sensory experience too, right? We always hear the old adage, you eat with your eyes. Well, you also eat with your nose. So you yeah. need to smell, right? And see- and you kind of feel the energy of what's happening around you and the people. And so all that for me plays a role. Uh, it did here and, um, and, and why I chose it uh, as my, one of my most memorable. That's awesome. I love that. Well, thanks, Anisha. This has been great. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Um, I think people will really enjoy this conversation and I think they'll get a lot of, out of it. So I uh, appreciate it. Brian, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you, sir, for uh, the invitation. Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. This, this is a great platform. All right. I sure will.